0: Block talk radio Jean-Luc Jordi Specs Mysteries on the holodeck, Asteroids Triple Droids Telepathic Betazoids Transport a deadly claw visitor from LA Law Photons no Kirk Captain has gone berserk Shuttlecraft Counsel Troy Dr. Crush's little boy Klingon right parasites, new heights phaser fight data's head Desert, Quikers hanging by a thread. Celebration, transformations, everyone to battle station. Start the series, it's the next generation on your favorite station. We in the start the series, but when we are gone, it will feel beyond.
1: Hey,
2: good evening. Welcome to another episode of Trek Talking. I just love that theme song. We've been using it for five years. Um, but, you know, what, what would you guys think if there was a little update? Something like Jane Janeway, Fox beer, Lorca's acting very weird, Captain Pike, Cisco White, Karen. What do you think? Catchy? That sounds
3: kind of catchy. Maybe I sort of like that. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah.
0: yeah, we should give get yeah, a I go. I think it's
2: kind of catchy. We'll have to wait and see what happens. But um, anyways, there might be a new theme song. In the future, for truck talking, you'll have to wait and see. I'm just throwing that out there, throwing it at the wall (laughs) and seeing what sticks. You don't know. But anyways, it is Thursday night. We are live from 730 to 930 tonight, Eastern Standard Time. Our phone number is 646-668-2433. And you guys can hang out with us for the next couple of hours, talk about Star Trek Discovery, talk about Mandalorian, turn off your TV, Forget about all the election stress and hang out with us, right? Sound fun, guys? Yeah, yeah. I think so.
1: So yeah, I'm dude. the most
2: excellent host, Uncle Jim, and with me as usual are my truck experts, and we'll start off with Eric. Eric is out in Portland. How you doing tonight, Eric?
3: I am doing pretty good. We are uh, finally snapping into fall here. It's like a you know, 50 degrees and kind of drizzly rain outside, which is pretty typical October, November weather for us right now. So uh, enjoying that because I don't mind the rainy weather one bit. And I sure am glad that I have you guys to talk about Trek tonight because I'm done watching the news too.
2: Yeah. We got to take a break. It's it's done. It's time. Let's enjoy ourselves. And also mm-hmm. my other Trek spurt who's been with me for a very long time, my right-hand man, Charles, And Charles is out in Las Vegas, very critical. We'll see. Out in Las Vegas, how you doing tonight,
4: Charles? I'm doing good. It's (laughs) we're sitting with 80s for another day until we get a big temp, big cold front coming through. Hey, Eric, what that thing you call rain? What's this rain you talk about? Like we you haven't, haven't heard this concept for like six months
0: Ugh, it's awful it is awful
4: wow, we so might well leslie be rain this weekend, which we I'm haven't good. seen in six months.
3: that'd be amazing,
4: yeah poor
2: Leslie got six inches of snow up up her way, and which is tragic uh and I'm look, here here in Vermont today, it was 62 degrees today, and it's supposed to be 65 tomorrow, unseasonably warm for this time of year in this part of the country. But I'll take it. I'll take it. So I just want to let you guys know we're going to change up the show just a little bit for the next eight weeks. Um, There's not going to be a Star Trek news section anymore because we're going to be talking about the Mandalorian season two, so... We won't be doing Star Trek news, but you can still catch up on your Star Trek news by visiting our Facebook page, uh, Trek Talking and Beyond, spell that all out, and you can go there and check out the articles that I would have been talking about on the show. Uh, we just figured Mandalorian would be more fun and, you know, more important than the news, so that's what's going to happen. But if anything important Let comes up, I breaking think you news. guys, yeah, well, yeah, there, there is... News. A little bit of there is some breaking news right now that I'm going to throw out there before we start. Discovery season four has started production. Dun 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 dun
4: dun dun. dun. How Um, many people? How many uh, people here got to see the picture of Doug Jones and Mm -hmm. shaving his head so he's ready for makeup?
3: Yeah. yeah, it's like a ceremonial thing. When Doug Jones does that, you know he is on board and ready to go.
4: Yeah,
2: and how many people saw the picture that I posted a couple of weeks ago of the Discovery filming crew sign in, at their studios in Toronto? Yeah. So it's mm-hmm. it's real, it's happening, and it's going on right now. Remember, Canada has different COVID regulations than we have here. They have it under better control in canada than we have here and that's why they're able to start filming right now and that's why picard is still delayed because picard films here in hollywood so there you have it and if any other breaking news comes up i'll i'll mention it at the top of the show before we dive into our real meaty stuff so with that out of the way It's time to go around the globe with the numbers, and for that, we turn to Eric. Take it away.
3: All right. Same as always this week, we have 76% of our listeners coming from the United States. Thank you so much. We broadcast from what I like to think of as the triangle of Trek talking uh, in our three corners here, and uh, that covers a lot of area, and we really thank you to uh, all of our domestic listeners, but... Let's talk about our international listeners. In the number one spot, uh, holding steady from last week is Australia with 4.8% of our listeners. Now, if you've been tracking along, last week they only had 4.4% of our listeners. So they went almost uh, a full half percentage up in only one week. So who knows? Australia may be making a big surge, here. we'll have to see In our number two spot is the UK, with 3.96% of our listeners, also up just a skosh from last week. In the number three slot, holding Steady is Ireland. They are pretty close to where they were at 3.38%, down just a tick. And in the number four slot coming in, uh, I believe, a couple of months ago at this point, uh, is Norway, with 2.53% of our listeners. And finally, rounding out our international top five is Canada, Thank you, Canada, with 2.17% of our listeners. Now, we may have had to have postponed the news a little bit, but you know what we didn't postpone, Jim? The fan shout-outs.
2: That's right. We never forget our fans, guys. And please, I said at the top of the show, visit our Facebook page, Trek Talking and A-N-D Beyond. You'll see the Live Long and Prosper. Tell us where you're from. Every week, I pick 15 lucky names. If I put a star, if you see a little heart from truck talking next to your name, that means you're going to be on the air. So go and leave your name and look for the heart and then tune into the show and you'll, you'll hear your name. So um, we're going to start this off as usual. We're going to send it right back to Eric again. And we're going to start out with our individual fan shout out. So take it away, Eric.
3: Our first fan shout-out this week goes to David Waite in Worcestershire in the UK. Thank you so much, David, for listening to us, and it's nice to hear from you. Uh, We're also saying a big hello to Diane Parent from Edmonton in Alberta, Canada, up there up north, still in our top five. Thank you so much for listening to us, Diane. We really appreciate it. Uh, Janice Packard from Oregon, right here in my home state. Janice, maybe we know each other and don't even know it. Thank you for listening to our show. We really appreciate it. We're also giving a big shout-out this week to Malta M. Bechter from Berlin in Germany. We always appreciate our listeners from Germany. We'd love to get you in our top five. Go out and and proselytize a little bit for us, won't you, Malta? Thank you. Uh, We're also saying hello and thank you so much this week to Holger Overdick from Hamburg, Germany. We've had quite a few people uh, say hello to us from Hamburg, so thank you so much. We've got two in our top, or two in my list here from Germany this week, and uh, we really appreciate all of you listening to us. Charles, who else is listening to us this week?
4: Well, we've got Kim Corwin from Deerfield Beach, Florida. Nice weather, I think, over in Florida. Mm-hmm. we got Lori Lund from Sacramento, California, in the U.S.A., Dan Kissinger, I'm from Iowa. I only work in outer space. (laughs) I wonder if he's working with one of our space
0: programs. (laughs) Chris
4: Fox, from Old Fort, Tennessee, USA. And this one's an interesting name. Rafa Leah Lorenz, from Roseheim, Germany. We got another German in there. Mm Mm-hmm. Man, I think Jim pulled out lots of Germans this week. Jim, finish us off. Maybe you got one.
2: To yeah. Yeah, we're not done with the Germans. We had a huge influx of listeners from Germany that dropped their names on our page, which, which is awesome. And that's why we have so many uh names from Germany in our count in our fan shout out. So uh we're gonna start off with uh Jamie Nacaulay. You've got a Canadian trekker here. So Thanks for no. listening, Jamie. We really appreciate it. Uh, Lynn Harvey from the southern UK. There's the UK storming right back in again. And speak of Germany, Evie Kirkland from Berlin, Germany. I love Berlin. Um, you know, they some great great music from uh, Top Gun from Berlin. I just love that group.
0: Uh, <laughs> Linda Cox uh, from
2: Peterborough. I wonder if it's if it's any if, it, if it's just a name or. If, if they actually well, were from Berlin.
3: I don't know. The real question is, Jim, does their music take your breath away?
2: So Yes, it absolutely does.
5: <laughs>
2: <laughs> and uh, uh, <laughs> Linda Cox from Peterborough, UK. And last but not least, we're going to take a little trip to Down Under and say hello to Matthew Kearns from Sydney, Australia. G'day, mate. And there... Our, our fan shout outs For this show So thank you to each And every one of you guys For listening We definitely could not Do the show without you And we appreciate each And every one of you Thank you so So much And for that We have to go to Our birthdays
0: yeah. It was not a Klingon song.
2: And as you guys know, we always start off our Star Trek birthdays remembering those in our Star Trek family who, sadly enough, have left us and are no longer here. And for that, we turn to Eric. Take it away, Eric.
3: Yeah, this week, our first remembrance is a character that you probably all are pretty familiar with. uh, At least one of these, if not both of the major characters this actor played. We're remembering this week William Campbell, who played Trelane on the TOS episode, The Squire of Gothos, pretty famous character, pretty iconic. But he also played Koloth in Trouble with Tribbles uh, and Blood Oath, uh, both in his Young Guys on TOS and then as his uh, older counterpart on DS9. So pretty recognizable actor. I think did a fantastic job in both of those. I remember um, Squire of Gothos being one of the first episodes that I ever saw of TOS as a kid and one that I saw many, many times, and so I kind of had ingrained in me that there was this uh, idea in Star Trek of these omnipotent beings, and that always fascinated me, and William Campbell just yeah. did a fantastic job with that role in particular. I mean, Jim probably loves him for the Klingon role, I would imagine.
0: Yeah, he he was
2: a, a classic Klingon, uh, absolutely.
3: So, uh, happy birthday to William Campbell. We do miss you. Uh, we're also remembering this week David Ogden Steers, uh, which is a name that if it doesn't sound familiar uh, in one context, it will in another. He played a character called Timison uh, in the TNG episode Half a, uh, Half a Life, but he's probably much more famous, I think, for his role on MASH. And Charles, who did he play on MASH?
4: Charles Emerson winchester III. That's right. Oh, Rank. pompous, is a great character.
0: <laughs> so and, and uh for you guys, kind if, of character if, that...
3: yeah, go
2: ahead. If you guys don't remember uh the episode Half Life with Tennyson, Yeah. That's the episode where uh the, I do. These, the, this this planet, uh the, the people commit suicide at age sixty, the whole family gathers around and, and they kill themselves and it, they do this at sixty. And his character is on the verge of discovering I don't remember what he was discovering but he he was on the verge of discovering this this massive thing that would stop the the uh, the fusion in a star and save their planet from destruction or something critical like that and who beams mm-hmm. aboard but none other than Luwaxana Troy Lwaxana, and who falls in love with yes. this guy Luwaxana and she talks him into finishing his creation and saving his people which he does uh and there's a lot of moral implications there. Really good episode, and a really, yeah. really well acted by, by David on that one.
0: Absolutely. I
4: think yeah. I mean, for Jim and I, for Jim and I, I think it gives it a little bit of remnant of Logan's Run, mm. where Yeah. people
0: only lived
4: to
3: Yeah,
2: yeah. TNG was well, good for happy- stuff like that. They they did that well.
3: Well, happy birthday to David Ogden Steers, one heck of a an actor, uh, both in his Star Trek role and his role on MASH and many other things. I, I believe he was in THX 1138, too, if I remember right. Uh, so happy birthday. Uh, we're also remembering this week Michael Zaslow, who played Lieutenant Darnell in the TOS episode The Man Trap. Uh, definitely uh, somebody who, was. if you don't know exactly who that is, he is one of the first um, people to actually get Killed by the salt vampire. So the crew sort of discovers him uh, with his face full of those sucker marks from the salt vampire. So not a red shirt. And he's not a red There's shirt. A yeah. He
0: exactly. was
3: a blue
4: shirt.
3: <laughs> he's a blue shirt, <laughs>
4: well, which is kind of interesting. Pretty red yeah. shirt era. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah that is yeah. true. Uh, so happy birthday, uh, and we do miss you too, Michael Zaslow. And our last remembrance this week is another uh, humdinger, I'll say. Uh, we are remembering Ray Walston, who is most famous in Star Trek for playing the character of Boothby, uh, who is the Starfleet Academy groundskeeper. Um, he shows up in the TNG episode uh, First Duty. He also shows up kind of as a hologram in a remembrance uh, in a couple of Voyager episodes, The Fight and In the Flesh. So uh, definitely an actor that, if you know who Boothby is, uh, he, he's kind of that, uh, I feel like he's almost like Picard Sr. or something, you know? He's got this kind of wisdom that's beyond Picard's wisdom, I think. Yep.
2: Yeah, he's kind of Helped like the a lot
3: of Star of Trek. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, imagine how many cadets he's seen, my goodness. So Ray Walston, a fantastic actor, was in many episodes as Boothby, um, and we do miss him as well, so happy birthday. Charles, take us through some of the folks who are still with us that have birthdays this
4: week. All right. I'm going to do a little bit of modification here. Start off with Helen Udi, who played Pell in DS9's Rule of Acquisition hmm Irene Sue played Mary Kim, Harry Kim's mother in Voyager's Favorite Son and Author Author. Dan Shutton <clears throat> played Lieutenant Mir Romaine in TOS Light of the Tar. hmm This one I didn't realize. Yeah. Kagan DeLancey played Q Jr. in Voyager Q2 which just ironically happens to be John Delancey's son
3: I do not know know why I have never put that together before that is amazing I had no idea
4: I'm surprised we have not seen Kagan at Star Trek Las Vegas on on the stage with the Q's
0: uh huh well
2: Think about that. If you're gonna have somebody play a junior Q, who better than yeah. Q's actual? Uh, yeah.
4: You know? <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant.
0: Right? Yeah.
4: And then I move I reorder Jim's list to put this one at the bottom. This one's in my top one for my group. Mm-hmm. Eric Mignuk. Odd name. But Played in TNG's where no man has gone before, in Journeys End, and I would love to see this character come back. Yes, please. And see what he's been up to with Wesley Crusher. As we're saying, Happy Birthday to the Traveler. One of my one great character in TNG, and that's one character I really do wish what we knew what happened.
0: Yeah,
3: I couldn't agree with you yeah. anymore, Charles. But, I feel like that would be awesome to see Wesley and the Traveler come back together as a team. Uh, you know, maybe they've been off doing their own thing, but to have them show back up again would be so yeah. cool in Picard. I want
4: to. I cool. want to see him either Picard or Lower Deck.
3: Mm.
2: I want to see mm-hmm. them both
4: show up.
3: Lower deck, sorry.
2: I right. think that's one of those things where that where Star Trek dropped the ball because. Uh, yeah. In this particular episode, Wesley takes off with the Traveler and abandoned Starfleet because he's tired of taking orders, and he leaves. Just beams away to wherever he went. But then, you remember, he shows up again at Deanna Troian Riker's wedding in a Starfleet uniform.
3: Which I would say, if uh, if you are Wesley Crusher and you have the power of a Traveler, I'm saying that Wesley can pop back and be in a Starfleet uniform and be there for the wedding. And still go out galvanting around the galaxy afterward. That's my working theory yep. right now. Yeah, I'm just like, it just,
2: you know. Yes, maybe
4: he's not they, just a ambassador for the Traveler, representing mm-hmm. the Federation.
2: hmm I suppose he, he could be a Traveler himself. Maybe he's a doctor. Maybe he's Doctor Who.
0: I'm saying he's you know? so
3: smart. Wesley could be anything, man. And what would be cool is that you almost wouldn't expect somebody like the Traveler to age. So that almost makes that particular character better for Lower Decks because it's an animated type thing. But I think I think you could say that Wesley, you know, would continue to age. And so it would be nice to see a, you know, current-aged Will Wheaton on the screen in a Star Trek role again.
2: We, we need to see uh... – Wesley Crusher come back of all the characters on Star Trek he's the one that needs to come back absolutely Mm -hmm. needs to come back
4: well Mm -hmm. his connection connection right now with all of Star Trek he is one of the big voices I think right now of Star Trek completely you have a convention you have to have him there you have a show about the card. You have a show they interview people from Discovery. He's right there center stage.
3: You know, Charles, that's a yeah, really I good point. Good. I think that Wesley has actually outgrown the role maybe of just an actor on the show, and he is so much of an ambassador at this point of all of Star Trek with his involvement now yeah. currently in the ready room and all of his interviewing and stuff. Uh, maybe you're right. Maybe he's outgrown actually playing a part on screen anymore because he's just he's like the prophet of Star Trek. Oh, right I'm now. sure
4: I want to see him on screen too. I just well, think he's been too. a great ambassador too.
6: Oh yeah, amazing.
4: I think that's yeah, a good he, reason he why we yeah. need him in the show is because he is the ambassador to it. hmm
0: uh-huh.
4: I know we won't talk about him. it today, but he actually geeked out with the with the uh orchestra leader in the last lower deck. And mm-hmm. that was just, yeah, and you know, him what? geek out. And and if you guys watched that ready room,
2: that the, the uh, uh Jeff Russo actually said the very point that I keep making about the, the excellent music on uh Discovery and he he said exactly what I've always said. He knows when to pop in a theme song and he uses the classic music very sparingly. But when he puts it in there, you, it will, it will get you when he, when you hear Mm -hmm. it and he does it, he does it so uh, spectacularly. He, he is the man. And on that note, guys, we have to take our very first break of the evening, but don't worry. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. Uh, when we come back, we have a few more birthdays to go through, and then we're going to jump into the Mandalorian, Chapter Nine, The Marshal. We'll be right back.
1: Maybe there we go. Trek talking, all things Star Trek and beyond. Thursday night, seven thirty to nine thirty. All hailing frequencies are open iTunes, iHeart, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, and wherever fine podcasts are found. Trek Talking, boldly going wherever your mind is willing to go.
2: And welcome back. So, we're going to continue with our birthdays. And, you know, this is the first time, I think, that Charles and I have had more birthdays than Eric. Isn't it?
3: Mm. In a little, I don't know if it's the first time, but it has been a little while. We have had quite a few remembrances lately. Eric yeah. only had four, uh, yeah.
2: four himself, and where Charles and I have five each. So that's the first time that I have. Not that that's a, I'm not complaining, but I'm just saying, pointing that out that that usually doesn't. Interesting happen.
3: shift. Yeah.
2: Our, mm-hmm. our birthdays usually usually are a little bit longer than they are this week, but that just gives us more time to talk about the Mandalorian. So.
0: That's cool. Mm-hmm.
2: So uh, I've got a fun one. I was debating whether or not to include this one, and I decided to go with it. Um, we have Kether Donahue, who played <laughs> Peanut
0: Hamper in the LDS
2: episode, <laughs> no small part. And uh, I love it. I love there was a very small part, yep. but Peanut <laughs> Hamper was just <laughs> just. <laughs> and and uh, be, be, Peanut Hamper was an exocomp, which was another reason why I threw it in there.
3: Yeah, and the first time that we actually get to see that type of personality from an exocomp, which was so fun, and just the way that that character meshed with Tendi's character was brilliant. I loved it. It makes me smile wow. just yeah. about Peanut Hamper.
2: Peanut Hamper. So I I threw Peanut Hamper in there. So happy birthday to Heather you? This next one, I was going to bump down to the bottom of the list a little further because she has been in so many things I, I, to name. She, she was a Bond girl,
0: mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm.
2: but she's been a lot. Uh, the X-Men, j- just, just to name a few, but she was in Star Trek as well. And the reason why I'm mentioning her, one of the reasons is because, now pay attention, pay attention, guys. This is an important fact yeah. about Uncle Jim that you probably don't know. Or maybe you do. I don't think you do. But if you do, you're going to know it again. I have seen every episode of every Star Trek except for Voyager because they didn't carry it here in Vermont. So I only saw like the first three, four seasons of Voyager. And then when they went to the UPN thing, we didn't have a UPN and I didn't get to see it. So I have missed a lot of Voyager. But not by choice. Now, there's only one episode. One. One. Of all the Star Trek, except for Voyager, which they didn't carry in Vermont, that I did not get to watch. And uh, I was on my way home to watch it with my wife, my girlfriend, Karen, at the time. My car broke down, and I stopped at a friend's house who would not let me in to watch it because his wife was indecent, blah, blah, blah. So I never got to see this particular episode, and even to this day, I have not seen this episode. I could easily watch it on netflix or cbs all access but i don't because i want to keep that story alive i watched Mm -hmm. every episode of every star trek first run and if i go back and watch this episode again that would ruin that whole thing so i've never seen this episode but anyways (laughs) we're gonna say happy birthday to femka jensen who played camellia in the tng episode the perfect mate so happy birthday and I have no idea if it was a good episode or a bad episode because it's the only one I have never seen. So just keep uh, that in your mind. That trivia, that might come up as a in the trivia question later on. I, <laughs> I might have some great comic <laughs> books or a DVD to send out to someone if they can name the one episode I've never seen. So just remember that.
0: There you go. Another
2: right. one. This is another interesting one. Ursuline Bryant, who played Captain Triella Scott in the TNG episode Conspiracy, and I've heard a lot of fans kick around the idea that she was the daughter of Scotty and Uhura.
0: Possible. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. don't know. Um we,
2: we don't we don't know. Uh they hinted at a relationship between Scotty and Uhura in Star Trek five. You
3: mm-hmm.
2: know? It's it's, yep. it's you know. Possible. It's possible. Um Yeah, absolutely. Um it is totally possible. But and and she was a great character too. I think, if I remember correctly, she was the youngest Starfleet captain or something like that, wasn't she? Yeah, did they make was, that point uh, in the episode?
3: Yeah, she was. She was a commanding officer on the Renegade, I think. And yeah, she was like the youngest uh, Starfleet captain. I don't know if it was ever. Was it ever? Maybe. Yeah, maybe it was something like that. Yeah.
2: Anyway, yes, the be, idea was be that Kirk. she was
3: some sort of prodigy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
2: So fans have been kicking around the idea that she could have been Scotty and Ahura's daughter. We just don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So I just want to throw that out there for our fans to kick around, you know, think about it. Uh, our next birthday is Robert Foxworth, uh, who's been in a lot of stuff as well. But he played Admiral Leighton in the D S nine episode Homefront and Paradise Lost, which we just talked about. Um and he also played the lot in the Enterprise episode, The Forge the Awakening in Kirshana. Unfortunately, uh he's one of those evil admirals that we always talk mm-hmm. about.
3: Mm-hmm. And one of those uh, one of those uh Devious Vulcan bad guy
2: Vulcan, <laughs> evil Vulcan <laughs> <laughs> I guess.
3: Yeah, you know? well, you know, he can't help it that he is so good at playing a bad guy. But I will tell you that that trifecta, the Forge Awakening and Kirshara are, I think, some of the best Enterprise out there. And I think that's in no small part to his performance as the last, honestly. He was fantastic.
5: Yeah, he
2: he was good. And he did redeem himself in the DS9 episodes. He did the right thing at the end. So he, he did come around. He did. And do the right thing. Um, yeah. So yeah. So he did redeem himself. And our final birthday. Um, I don't know what to say about, about about this guy. I, I just.
4: Uh-huh.
2: Well, what can I say about him? Can I say anything?
4: Real rules of acquisition.
5: Well,
2: yeah. Uh, yeah I mean, I, he was one of the, the reasons why uh, Deep Space Nine for me was so awesome was because of him because he is a character on Star Trek that's not a part of Starfleet and not a crew on the Starship he's an outsider looking in so we get to see the Federation and Starfleet from his point of view and I do have a little clip quick clip that I want to play that catches this character at his best
6: Might I trouble you for a glass of canard? Help yourself. It's on the house. Well, how uncharacteristically generous of you. I'm in an uncharacteristic mood. Besides, I got 80 cases of this stuff sitting in my stockroom, And the way things are going, I'll never unload another bottle unless it's to you. How thoughtless of me not to consider the effects the destruction of my home world would have on your business. These must be trying times for you. Be brave. I should have listened to my cousin, Gayla. He said to me, Clark, I got one word for you. Weapons. No one ever went broke selling weapons. But did I take his advice? No. And why not? Because I'm a people person. I like interacting with my customers like you and I are doing right now. Talking to each other, getting to know one another. I can see the attraction. For you. But when you're dealing in weapons, buyers aren't interested in casual conversation. They just want their merchandise, no questions asked. So impersonal. Your charms would be wasted. Exactly. So now, Gale owns his own moon. And I'm staring into the abyss. And the worst part of it is, my only hope for salvation is the Federation. I know precisely how you feel. I want you to try something for me. Take a sip of this. What is it? A human drink. It's called root beer. Uh, I don't know. Come on. Aren't you just a little bit curious? (sighs) What do you think? wild. I know. It's so bubbly, cloy, and happy. Just like the Federation. But you know what's really frightening? If you drink enough of it, you begin to like it. It's insidious. Just like the Federation. Do You think they'll be able to save us? And,
2: of course, we want to send out a special trick talking happy birthday to Mr. Quark himself, Armin Shimmerman. Happy birthday, Armin Shimmerman. What do you guys think about that, that clip there?
0: <laughs> it's one of the
3: best.
4: Definitely I love it. That's a true Quark.
3: Yeah, it's, it is. And I love some of the, the nuances in that dialogue, like uh, where Garrick says, uh, I can see the attraction for you. <laughs>
0: yeah. I, I love that line
2: <laughs> yeah so it's funny. good I, I, actually they're both that that clip is great for both Garrick and for Quark
4: mm-hmm. Wrap
2: so that wraps up our birthdays for this week guys unless you guys want to mm-hmm. add something or talk about yep. one of the characters we mentioned before we move on No, I think we're ready. We've got some
3: man man mode to talk about. All right.
2: So we're going to talk about uh, our phone number here is 646-668-2433. Please give us a call. Tell us what you thought about Chapter 9, The Marshal of The Mandalorian, uh, Episode 1 of Season 2. As I said, there won't be any Star Trek news this week. Um, We're going to be skipping that for the next eight weeks and substituting the Mandalorian in place of Star Trek news. And since you won't be hearing the Star Trek news soundbite, which, which, by the way, I also might add, Trek talking is going to be getting a little facelift. We have a new soundbite that we play for our Discovery segment for our our spoiler alerts. Uh, there may be a new theme song in the future. We'll have to wait and see. But if you guys have been listening to the show, there might also be a new Star Trek news um, theme song, sound soundbite coming. I've been playing the beep 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 thing just to introduce it. But I think we might have something better uh, in the next eight weeks to play for you guys. So you want to hang out for that. So in place of that, get you guys in the mood for the mandalorian here we go Still hanging out with Baby Yoda, of course, right where we left him at the end of last season. Um, he's been sent on a quest to return Baby Yoda to the, the Yoda Lane. I don't know what we want to call them, but um, to the Yoda I guess. The rest of the Yodas. <laughs> um, so, or wherever that might be. And so, he's on a quest to rate. bring. Yes, he's he's bringing him back to them. So he's on a quest for Yoda's homeworld, I guess, is the easiest way to describe it. And the first place that he goes, of course, is Tatooine. And he visits Tatooine, and uh, we get a a visit from the engineer. What was her name, that character that we met last season? I, can't I was hoping one of
3: you guys was going to remember her name because I tr- I forgot to look yeah. it up before the show, but she's the one who actually took care of Baby Yoda last season for a little while while Mando yeah. went out and did some stuff.
2: And she does again. She takes care of Baby Yoda and and has the Pit Droids fix up his ship, which is pretty cool. Uh, we get a lot of callbacks. We get a lot of fan service in this particular um, in this particular. Uh, Mandalorian episode. One of the things that uh, we get in this particular episode is right at the beginning, right in the scene that we're talking about, she has the pit droids fixing the ship, and she calls her droid over to show the Mandalorian mm-hmm. where this missing city is, and the droid happens to be the R5 droid that had a bad motivator from the original Star Wars movie.
0: R5-D4. And I was
2: like, That is so that is so cool. I thought yeah. that was yeah. just like wow. I, I was like, that is cool. That is so cool. But, and, and it tied right
3: into the story, which involved Jawas. Also, there were some Jawas in yeah. this episode.
2: And I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to continue on it too much. I, I. I. Um. I'll let I'll let my co-host jump in here, but there. Um. I did I did jump ahead just a little tiny bit. Because there is a little prologue in this episode before we get to Tatooine, and there was there was a scene where they have uh, he's at a fight club of some type, um, and aliens are fighting, and we we see a lot of aliens that we've seen from other most of them from the uh, Jabba's palace scene in Return of the Jedi. The guards, but we see some Gomorian guards, which were which uh, did, did the Gamorrean guards look kind of wonky to you guys?
3: Um, no, I actually thought they looked kind of retro because um, whereas the alien he was talking to, um, Gore Koresh, was like super refined and animated, I thought the Gomorian Guard costumes were like a little loose-fitting and looked a little uh, kind of old school like they did back in the day. So I actually kind of liked that. I thought that was kind of the nice and retro Star Wars. I know what you're talking about, but I liked it. Yeah, I just thought they looked... I thought it was really
2: cool because the vibro blades. we actually saw them get to have a fight with them, and they were kind of lightsaber they, they when they clashed. I thought that was really cool. The and other thing I was, thought it was that was the really Gamorian
3: guards we got in this episode were were skinnier than the Gamorrean guards that we typically see, so I took that to mean that, you know, these guys have either been... Starved a little bit, or I mean, you actually get the the sense that maybe I don't know if these guys are fighting because they like to fight, or because they're being forced to fight.
2: Yeah, I just I I I, I thought it was really cool when uh, he used his whistling birds, mm-hmm. which he got at the end of last season, yeah. and uh, it was it was a really it was a really uh, fun way to start the episode. I thought. Before we got to Tatooine, Uh, so uh, who wants to pick it up from Tatooine and the R5? uh, You want to jump in, Eric or Charles? Who wants to take the next part? Charles, Um, you want to jump
6: in? Yeah, go ahead, Charles.
4: Okay, well, remember I only got to see this episode once. Yep, so did I. So I know he gets he gets he gets information of the Mandalorian. That's on Tatooine. And he finds from the engineer. A. Long forgotten section. In Tatooine. That's been battle ridden. And not in most maps anymore. He borrows a. Cycle from her. And goes looking for him. And Mando visits a bar and in comes our very, very interesting Mandalorian. (laughs) Very familiar one. (laughs) Yeah, very familiar. (laughs) Exactly. Immediately we think of Boba Fett Mm -hmm. in it. And... When he takes his uh, his helmet off to get a drink, we find out that he's not a Mandalorian. And Mando wants the armor. The armor belongs to the Mandalorian.
0: And they're willing
4: to fight for it until we meet the... <coughs> The problem that this little town's having,
6: and
0: mm-hmm. that's a
4: giant, what would you call it, a giant worm? It's
6: uh,
0: actually it a crate, crate dragon.
4: dragon. Yeah. Okay, crate dragon. Now,
2: just as a little sidebar, we we this is not the first time we see a crate dragon, although this is the first time we see one alive. We do see the skeleton of a crate dragon in Star Wars when three PO and R two are walking through the desert. We see the skeleton of a crate dragon on Tatooine, and when Obi Wan Kenobi rescues Luke Skywalker from the uh, Tusken Raiders, he makes a crate dragon call, which scares off the the um, Tusken Raiders that are tearing apart his land speeder. So, we've never seen one alive until now.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And let me tell you, was it a sight to Ooh. behold? Whew.
4: Yeah,
0: holy smokes! We
4: also I mean, learned was... that we also learned that this gentleman gained his armor, his Mandalorian armor, from the Jawas. We don't know, but you kind of wonder: did they pick up this armor? after Boba Fett went in the mouth of the creature.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, I know
4: there's something non... I know there's a lot of non-canon out there that says Boba Fett survived being swallowed. This may be leading a little towards canon that maybe he didn't, or he abandoned his armor. We don't know the full detail there.
0: Well, Maybe we learn we'll learn a little
4: more about the here, armor.
0: Here, it, There's a here's where
2: I
3: spoiler at the end that connects to that, I think. Here
2: Here's where I jump into this whole thing, because I've been reading. Um, a, Star Wars is not as cut and dry as Star Trek. Um, but in my mind, if it ain't in a movie, then it ain't canon. You can't use, and this is why. You can't use comic books. You can't use novels. You can't have all these expanded things and say that they're canon because not everybody has access to those and not everybody follows those. And that's why they're not considered canon. All right. And a lot of fans were complaining that Boba Fett blasted his way out, blah, blah, blah. He was in the expanded universe, blah, blah, blah. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. This particular episode, I think, makes the implication, it implies it. They that um when the crate dragon uh killed the um the um uh Sarlacc. kalar the, the Sarlacc that was Sarlacc. in the pit the Sarlacc, and that's why the pit was abandoned that's how Boba Fett escaped. That's my take on it anyways.
6: Um
3: Yeah and and I would say that you know, the very last bit that we see right before the credits, spoiler alert, folks, if you haven't seen this, turn away, um, is actually the same actor, Tamura Morrison, who played uh, Jango Fett in the prequels. Uh, So it would stand to reason that he would be playing Boba Fett at this point. And Boba Fett sees the Mandalorian in this episode uh, win his armor back, win Boba Fett's armor back. From uh, the marshal who's been uh, wearing the armor here, and he loads it on the back of his bike and drives away, and that's when we see this guy kind of look at him as he's driving away. So I think we are poised here for a return of Boba Fett.
2: Yeah, it, it was. I, I, it was. It was great to see the Tusken Raiders again and the Banthas, and they did follow. They did travel single file to hide
3: their numbers. So that was cool. Yeah, they definitely did. I think there were, I mean, Charles did a great job of kind of summarizing everything that's happened here. I love the whole Western vibe that this episode has. I mean, Mando, this whole show has kind of a Western vibe to it. But the scene where he pulls into town, um, which is Mos Pelgo, it's the one, uh, I guess there's like three major cities on Tatooine, and that's the one that Charles was just talking about. So he pulls into this thing. And it's just like he's on a horse, right? As he's going through the middle of town, everybody's turning to look at him and figure out, oh my gosh, what's going on with this Mandalorian in town? So I love that scene personally. I love the special effects and all the detail and everything. I mean, the way the Banthas looked and the way that all the makeup on all the characters looked and the way that the crate Dragon looked was just unbelievable. I, I thought Boba Fett's armor... On uh, Cobb Banth was sufficiently weathered. You know, it looked like uh, exactly like Boba Fett's armor, which was already a little dinged up, uh, having been a little more dinged up <laughs> after being devoured by the Sarlacc, um, or maybe maybe not completely devoured by the Sarlacc. But I think probably my favorite part of this episode honestly guys and it goes throughout the whole episode at various points is the fact that we know that, that Mando speaks Tuscan we learned that last season but there's a yeah. lot of it in this episode and there's a lot of him acting as translator for Marshall um, and all this kind of stuff I love the whole semi guttural semi sign language of the Tuscan people I think, it's, I think it's brilliant and it's just so fun to see yeah. so much of it in one episode
4: that's and the band looks spectacular
3: too. Mm-hmm, they do, yeah. What were you we saying, Charles?
4: Well, that was uh, that was going to be one of my topics if we ever got that far into the episode. Just the fact of yeah. how Mando sits there and talks in the Tuscan slash San people language, and how animated the language is. Yeah. It's a yeah, it's, way it's cool. conversation.
3: It really is. And if you think about it, I mean, they had to develop this language and presumably it has some sort of consistency to it, but it's really made to be able to communicate over long distances, right? It's all these really loud sounds yeah. that are kind of guttural, but have enough nuance to them that you can tell that it's an actual language that you're not just, you know, grunting or making guttural sounds that have no purpose. So, I thought the Tuscan language, hearing a lot of it in this episode, is probably the most of it we heard. Uh, you know, even if you added up all the words that are said in the movies, there's probably more of it in this episode. Uh, and I really, I really dug I I dug all the scenes of Mando and the Marshal sitting around campfires uh, with the Tuscan people, you know, getting along with them. I mean, here are the people that we have kind of, we're supposed to fear them, right? from all the Star Wars that we know, we're not supposed to like the Tusken Raiders. They're they're bad guys. They're raiders. You know, they're going to come kill you. And here we are communing with them. And they end up being one of the reasons that we're able to slay the monster at the end of this episode. Um, so I, I just, that that's, the Tusken Raider part of this episode is probably the best part of it for me.
5: Yeah,
2: I oh. I, I, I like the, seeing a job with Sandcrawler again. Pretty was uh, pretty cool. Um, I did, well, we got to take, wow, we have to take another quick commercial break, guys. Don't touch your dial because we've got a little bit more to talk about when it comes to the Mandalorian Chapter 9. And then we're going to dive right into Star Trek Discovery. So don't touch that dial. We'll be right back after this very important message from
3: G.M. Chris. Maybe. This is Chris from Trek Talking and Beyond, here to invite you to join us for the best science fiction-themed podcast on the internet. Our elite team of trek are here to discuss Star Trek and other sci-fi-related content, and we want to hear from you. Dial 646-668-2433 on Thursday nights from 7.30 to 9.30 p.m. on East Coast time. Hailing frequencies are always open, and we'll get you on the air to share your opinions. We have
6: faith. You will call.
2: And we're back. And listen to GM, Chris, and give us a call. We'd love to hear from you. We're talking about The Mandalorian, Chapter 9, The Marshal. So one of the things that bothered me when when um, I, I watched the episode, I don't know if you guys caught this or noticed this or didn't notice this, or maybe it's just me being super anal, but when they got to the town on Tatooine, Whatever the name of that town was, Moss Espa, whatever it was, I don't remember. Moss Pelgo. What was the name of the Mas town? Pelgo. Yeah. When they Pel- got there, Pelgo. It, yeah. I was watching it and I said to myself, I can't believe how cheesy and how incomplete the set looks. The, the sets are actually on cinder blocks. They're, they don't even, it's like, what, they run out of money and they never f- completed the set?
0: No,
3: and no. It, See, it, I think. But that's part of the story, Jim. Remember that this settlement was completely destroyed during the war. So the fact is that that's why none of the buildings, probably none of the actual original buildings survive. Probably what you're seeing there is what's been scuttled together by the people uh, who are still living in that area because they say earlier in the episode that entire settlement was basically leveled um, during the war with the Empire. Yeah. Remember the mining oh, that, town comes I, 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 and like, I, takes it all over? And, yeah.
2: And I thought it was really cool that we got to see the destruction of the Death Star 2 again. Yeah. That was neat. Yeah,
3: yeah. And see how other so, people watched it on TV. Yeah, or on the hollow
2: <laughs> hollow. On the hollow TV, right? Yeah, hollow TV. That was really really cool. So overall, though, what 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 would you give it? How what would you give it on a score of one to ten, Eric? Of course, ten being the best, one being the worst.
3: Um, yeah, I mean, I, well, I think that it does, it did what Mando does best, which is give us lots and lots of adventure, um, and it gave us a quest, which I think was really cool, and it gave us a really cool tie-in to an old, old old-school Star Trek character that was one of my favorites as a kid, so I really dug this episode, uh, uh, Baby Yoda hardly played into it, which was okay with me, so I'm gonna give this, hmm... I'll give this an 8.8. I really liked it.
2: 8.8? Okay. How about you? What do you think, Charles? 1 to 10.
4: Definitely. I think some of the actions and definitely some of the... (coughs) (coughs) Okay. One of the things we... uh, Nate and I mentioned and kind of laughed at, it's like, okay... Mando's in the boxing re- boxing area, <laughs> and he kind of gives that look to Yoda. gives he gives a look to baby Yoda, and baby is like, uh <laughs> mm-hmm. like, oh. okay, I got my little carrier. Okay, <laughs> live down. He Shield myself, up. and he's <laughs> like, uh oh, I know something's gonna happen. Yep. But we got. A, they realize they got to get those little looks from that little baby. And so many of those looks are so genuine and so great is like, oh, how is David Yoda gonna react? And I think that's one of the things they're capping on that they know what they need to do. They know he's a star of the show. They've gotta make him a good point. So he might. I was wondering maybe if he's gonna get involved with this episode. He didn't, but we still had him around to his
5: reaction.
4: I'm gonna say around and. 8.5, 8.6. eight point six—definitely a good start this season.
2: Wow, you guys put the pressure on old Uncle Jim here, didn't you? Well, um, mm-hmm. yeah. well I'm not as—I'm not as generous as you guys. Um, I felt that we already did the Tatooine thing, and I felt that in an eight-episode season, going back to the same and revisiting some place we already visited when we only have eight episodes was kind of a reek of a lot of fan service to me. And I really would have liked to see them go somewhere else. Um, not that it wasn't good, not that it wasn't enjoyable. I just felt that it was a wasted, um, opportunity. And I'll leave it at that. Um, I I understand that in order to get Boba Fett, they had to go to Tatooine because that's where we, where Boba Fett was. So, so there's that, but still, um, yeah. So, so for that reason, and you know, I just, I don't know. I just, I just, it was a fun episode, but I, uh, it, it could have been a better one. So, um, I'm, I'm going to go with like a 7.5. <laughs> On this one So Not not quite as good as you guys Gave it But uh, a fun episode nonetheless And an enjoyable Episode nonetheless But not up there with the best So there you have it That's our Discussion on the Mandalorian Chapter 9 The Marshal Next week we'll be talking about Chapter 10 Um Whatever the title is, I I don't know. <laughs> Chapter ten. <laughs> so you want to stay tuned for that. Now we're gonna dive into Star Trek Discovery. That black alert,
4: y'all. We are about to make the jump to some serious spoiler territory. That black alert, y'all. We are about to make the jump to some serious spoiler territory.
2: And of course, that's our good buddy Will Wheaton. Warning you that we're about to of course, the episode was on last week, so but we are going to spoil it. So before we do that, though, we like to go through... And if you guys visit our Facebook page, Trek Talking and Beyond, you can take... We can't do polls anymore, so I put up a question. And every week I ask on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being the best, what score would you give the episode, this week's episode, which is far from home. Remember, we're a week behind. So we're talking about last week's episode of Star Trek Discovery, what would you give it on a score of 1 to 10? And then we tally up the score, and then Eric, or Charles will tell us what the overall fan rating
5: was. And then we're
2: going to review the episode for ourselves and give our rating and see how, how close we come to what the fans said, because we're fans too. We're, not, we're nothing special. So for that, we're going to have Eric jump in and start us
3: off. All right, so remember this is far from home, so this is the first time that we get to see the Discovery crew this season. So Cameron McIntosh says nine, the best yet. Mark B. Lee, a name that sounds familiar to our friend Jim, I bet, Ah. gave it a 7.25, so that's pretty decent. Uh, He only gave the premiere of Picard a 6.5, so there you go. Uh, Julian Phillips said I'd say an eight. Zachary Wayne says 10. Awesome new episode. Looking forward to next week. However, Helen Constantinopoulos said a 3. It was the worst I've seen on Discovery. Tim Lai said a 10. And Andrea Akinna-Ribas said, I believe it deserves a 10 for its focus on the optimism that is at the core of Star Trek. I really like that comment. That's a really cool one. Yeah. Uh, Charles, who else is talking about this stuff right now?
4: Well, Joshua Michael Irvin gave it 10 for sure. Jim Manson gave it 8.5, Approaching Perfection. <laughs> Linda Roberts, 8, and I love that tree. Oh, the stories about that tree on uh, with Will Wheaton. Robert Madlock gave it a 10. John Patrick Bryce Jr. gave it a nine. Rendered. Schoufer gave it a nine, and Philip Smith, ten. All three episodes so far have been really great. So, what does your what does your group think, Jim?
2: So rounding out our fan reviews, and remember, all of these reviews I cut and paste from our Facebook page, guys. So you can actually go on our Facebook page and and see the comments that we're reading here. None of them are made up. They're all legitimate right from our Facebook page. And you can go there and leave your review, what you thought about tonight's episode, and maybe we'll have your name on next week's show. Although I haven't posted What do you think about tonight's episode Just yet because it just aired tonight I probably won't do that until Friday after work sometime I'll get that up there so you've still got time To watch it anyways Back to our fans so uh, Kevin Harris says a 10 For me Uh, Eric Myers says 9 I love the peace talk and the tree Was great again the tree People keep talking about the tree Um, Hello
0: Hello. I'm here, but there's static on the line
2: somehow. I'm staticing here. There we go. It went away. Nope, it didn't go away.
4: No. Keep going, Jim. I can hear you.
2: All right. All right. I'm going to keep going. Uh, Kevin Harris said ten for me. Eric Meyer nine. I love the peace talk and the tree. Everyone talks about the tree. We'll probably talk about the tree a little bit later too. Derek Dykes gives it a 10. Holger Hank Premier gives it a 2. Eric Johnson gives it a 9. Michael Forrest oh. says a solid 8 for me. Very good episode and very Star Trek in its morality. I hope they keep the standards. And finally, Mark Aspen says 8. It's getting there now. I always find the first couple of episodes of a new season a bit iffy. So that's what our fans had to say. So what do we have to say about it? So well, before we... Hold on, Jim. Yeah. we have
4: got to get yeah. what the fans think of it so far. Well, with decimals again, we get an 8.464285714. let's round it just to an easy 8.5, which is right in the middle between episodes 1 and 2. Hmm, interesting.
2: Very interesting. Very interesting. So we're going to talk about Star Trek Discovery, episode 3, Far From Home. You already heard Will Wheaton are going to be spoilers. We are going to talk about what is that sound? (laughs) We are going to be talking about spoilers. And uh, I want to get you guys in the mood with the Star Trek Discovery theme song. Jeff Russo, demonstrating his, uh, his je ne sais quoi with Star Trek music and throwing in that that classic theme there right at the end of the Discovery main theme to just to, just to get you in the mood and pull you right in. So uh, where do we want to start? So this episode was directed by none other than Jonathan Frakes himself, the man, the myth, the legend, uh, Riker. Uh, he directed this episode, and as we always find out, he always seems to get the good episodes for some reason. And this one's no exception. So, with the first episode, we, we get to see Michael and Book. Second episode, we get to see the crew. This episode, they come together. So, you know, we start off with, with Burnham actually coming on the ship, and we get all kinds of hugs from the crew. And um, it, it, it's, 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 pretty emotional actually there's a, there's there's so many looks so many hugs uh it's just um freights just knows how to pull on the heartstrings and he does it in this episode quite a few times actually but that's the first time is when when burnham comes aboard and she goes to each one of the people and has a little moment which with each one of them which i thought was just wonderfully filmed wonderfully shot wonderfully act and uh what a great way to start off the episode, wouldn't you guys agree?
3: Rock. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I thought it was really nice. Uh, I, what I've noticed about Discovery this season is that they are really, they're really telling stories from a human perspective, and there's a lot of emotion involved, a lot of kind of real world ways that people would handle things involved, which I think is is really cool. I feel like it brings a little bit more realism to our. Um, kind of a utopian vision, you know, and I'm okay with that.
2: One of the things that I really like about it so far is that we see time travel on Star Trek a lot, but they always come back. And in this case, they can't. So they're stuck in the future. And we always think about time travel, like back to the future and hot tub time machine and all these other things. But the one thing that we never think about or that's never addressed is, oh, if, if you go that far into the future, everything that you know is, is gone. Everybody that you love is long gone. You've missed all the weddings, all the funerals, all, ev- everything that makes life worth living, you've missed. And now you're all alone yep. in a strange place, in a strange time, you don't know your way around anything. You're not familiar with the new cell phones, with the new laptops, with the new cars. You're totally out of date. And here you are. And how would that affect you? And Star Trek Discovery is dealing with that. And and it begins in this episode. And um, we, we get to see Detmer's having a little bit of problems in this episode. And... Um, Attila's having a little bit of problems in this episode. Michael Burnham's having a lot of problems in this episode because she's been there for a year, and she wrote off the crew. She already got in a mental place that they were gone and they wouldn't be back, and a year later they showed up after she had written them off, so now she has to reacclimate to having these people back, her only family that she had already written off. And now they're back again, and she has to deal with how to become a Starfleet officer again and how to be part of a crew again. So there's a lot, there's a lot of um, learning going on and a lot of human adventure that's unfolding right before our eyes. And I love every single bit of it. So I'm very impressed with this season so far in this episode. Um, I can't say enough good things about it. What do you think, Charles?
4: Oh, definitely. This is definitely where you can see a freak in this episode of how things tied together. Uh, it's interesting to see how Michael interacts with the different crew members, how Michael has a deal with being away for a year, where they've only been gone. They really haven't been apart in very long, where she's been away and she's dealt with how Saru has to deal with her because of the fact that she's had a year on her own where she had to take care of herself with book, with, help, with helping book and taking care of herself. That that's really been a big event to her. And that we finally get to see. And the struggles it's going through. But even no matter what we do, as some of our fans talked about, I watched this episode real quick before the show started so I could read the last week's episode one more time. And how Saru keeps going with a positive view, I think. He's not going to sit there and throw the first fight. He's going to defend his crew. He's going to defend everybody. He's going to protect people. And when the ride point comes around, let's do some, let's sit there and try making peace. Let's try getting a positive outlook of the future. Even if the future doesn't look so bright, let's let's try to keep it a little brighter. And, of course, we get a brand-new character that I'm looking forward to getting more details about. The Earth Alliance group is definitely an interesting group of people. We definitely have new transporter technology because it looks like they can transport through shields. And that they've got immediate just hit a button and they transport. So what do you think, Eric?
3: Oh, yeah, I really dug so many parts of this episode. I mean, all of the setup for the whole story that they tell in this episode, and we're, I guess we'll get into details with some of Jim's sound bites here in a little bit, but what it leads to in the end for me is a really, really awesome story that's all about how collaboration and getting together and, you know, relying on partners around you is a better way to move forward in life and how you can actually, you know, dig your way out of a hole if you're willing to collaborate with people around you and and maybe make a trade. Um, And in the end, that's kind of what happens in this episode. And I love that kind of optimism of just thinking about working together. It's a very Star Trek-y value that I like to see reinforced in this episode and it's nice to see. I, I don't know. I don't want to talk too much more about that because I think we're going to get into a couple of sound bites. But I really, really dug this episode, um, and that was one of the reasons why. So, yeah, Jim, do you, to, do you want to start getting into bites here?
2: Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna take a we're gonna take our final break of the night, which will lead us right into our fourth segment. And uh, for those of you who are listening, uh, we have got some things I want to talk about. I want to talk about uh, about Tilly and the conversation that she has with Burnham about losing her mother and uh, you know the discovery actually has the lithium on board how come they never thought about that before that was you know and not only it wasn't they didn't just have like a crystal but they had like the, the lithium vault and we're going to talk about that as well Um, You know, Saru and Burnham share a nice conversation around Giorgio's telescope. Very, uh, very touching scene. Of course, who is going to be the captain of the Discovery? We didn't touch on that either, but we will. And one of the big things about this episode for me was Earth left the Federation. They just said, to hell with you, and threw them off Earth. And now the Federation is out there somewhere, not on Earth. And Earth has surrounded themselves with a giant shield, and they've become isolationists. So we're going to talk about that as well. So we have a lot of great stuff yet to talk about, and we'd love to hear from you guys about any one of these topics. And we have some sound bites to play as well. So we are far, far from home here. We're, we're not even at the tip of the iceberg on things we're going to talk about, Star Trek Discovery. Our phone number here is 646- 668-2433 and we'd love to hear from you. Give us a call. Tell us what you scored the episode 1-10. to 10. Did you agree with our fans or not agree with our fans? And uh, Share your thoughts about some of the topics we're going to talk about. So we're going to take a very quick our final commercial break of the evening and when we come back we're going to dive right into Star Trek Discovery and uh, hello there to the people of Earth. So don't touch that dial. i got to find my soundbite. There it is. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back after we hear this very quick commercial message from uh, – oh, no, that's not the right one. Yeah, there we go. We're going to hear this very quick commercial message from my good friend TJ over at Freakopolis Geekery in Whitehall, New York. They could really use your help and your support right now, and he's going to tell you why. Don't touch that dial. We'll be
1: right back. This podcast is brought to you in part by the Freakopolis Geekery, the premier upstate New York comics and game shop. Centrally located between Saratoga Glens Falls, Ticonderoga, and Rutland, Vermont, the Geekery is a haven for pop culture and science fiction fans. For Star Trek fans, the Geekery features board games like Ascendancy, as well as awesome gaming titles like Star Trek Adventures RPG from Modiphius, Star Trek Away Team's Hero Clicks, and of course, Star Trek Attack Wing: Ship-to-Ship Tactical Combat for the Tabletop. The Geekery hosts casual play sessions, learn-to-play sessions, and sanctioned organized play tournaments with limited-edition prize support. You'll also find comics and trade paperbacks at Freakopolis, including Star Trek titles from IDW. Lots of issues are in stock, and special orders are no problem. Whether you visit in person by Shuttlecraft or beam in online to Freakopolis.com, you'll find yourself right at home at the Freakopolis Geekery.
2: And we're back. So let's start off with the biggest question of all. Who's going to be the next captain of the Discovery? We've had a rotating captain's chair since season one. Is that chair going to be filled finally? And who's going to fill it? What do you guys think? You think we're going to find out who the captain is? I don't know.
6: Maybe. I think we are. (laughs) Maybe
2: this next
6: clip might help out. (laughs) Commander Burnham, I believe we are due for a conversation. Perhaps we should... Oh, no, 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 no. There's no need. But we agreed to discuss. No, it's... it's it's you, Saru. And chain of command dictates it. I don't know if it's ever been me. You brought this ship through time. You carried this crew on your shoulders. You are a captain in the truest sense of the word.
0: It would be my honor. Hmm.
1: This ship, there's the name Discovery. Has that been more fitting or more prescient? She has carried us into the future, and it will be our
0: privilege to make that future bright.
1: Let us begin together.
2: right now that 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 scene is getting to me i think that we've been watching the saru character grow from the beginning to now and if ever there was a character that deserved to be a captain it absolutely is saru he has he's been the captain through all of this and he deserved it and he even now he he i think he's one of my favorite captains And it's the first time we have a non-human captain on Star Trek as well. So what do you guys think? What do you think,
5: Eric?
3: Uh, I think Saru is the most empathetic captain that we've ever seen on Star Trek. I think he probably uh, understands and empathizes with his crew more than any other one that we've seen. I do think that he's grown quite a bit uh, over the course of three seasons And, of course, now that he's gone through his um, transformation, you know, he's a bit more bold. And it's kind of nice in this episode to see him um, throwing around his captain's weight a little bit, you know. He has to raise his voice a couple of times when talking to the crew to get them to do the things that he wants them to do. Um, I just think he is a unique and totally awesome uh, addition to the kind of lexicon of – uh, major captains that we have in Star Trek, and I think I agree, Jim. He's right up there with my favorite. I mean, I don't know if he'll if he'll get the uh, you know dispense the knowledge like Picard did uh, or that type of thing as we go forward. But I think as a captain of a starship, he's very uh, believable, and and it's been fun to follow his story. You know, and you're you're kind of always rooting for Saru. I like that in a show. Well,
2: for me. I... Unlike all the other Star Treks, we've never, we've never got to take that ride with the captain before. They've always just, here, here's the captain, and we just jump on board, and there they are. But with Saru, that, that wasn't the case. We We got to see him and Michael clashing. We got to see that whole growth, and their relationship is a beautiful relationship. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later, but I think that their relationship is right up there with the Riker, Picard, Kirk, Spock, you know, Jane, Janeway, Chakotay thing. Um, they're almost have a brother-sister relationship. And um, to watch that character go from where we see him to in the beginning to where he is now is a wonderful journey, and I'm so glad we got to take it. And I think that's what makes the Saru being captain uh, seem so much more um, – fulfilling to us as fans is that we got to see what it took for him to get there. So what, what about you, Charles? What do you think about Saru being captain?
4: Well, I think our group gets a different perspective of Saru because we've enjoyed Saru in the books. We've enjoyed Saru in the comics. We've enjoyed Saru in the novel. We've grown to really, really think highly of Saru. And I think I agree with how Michael did it. It's like Saru hasn't had any pause in there in Starfleet, in rules. Michael's had to take a year break from it. And so she's got to transition herself back into it. Where Saru has always been the captain situation. Just as Pike, when Pike was on the stage, on on the, on the stage, on the bridge, if they were doing something that wasn't the the Red Angel, Pike would go to Saru. Saru, at this point, you're the official captain. You take over. So we've always kind of gotten a point that we kind of felt (coughs) 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 the real would make captain of the ship. And we also always talked about the series focused around Michael and not the captain. So I think we still want to focus the fact that Michael's not the captain. She's a crew member, but she has an important role in this series. So I, think I agree completely. The perfect I,
2: uh-huh. Now, let's let's talk about the lithium. Now, now um, one of the biggest problems on TOS is the ship was always the, we're out of the lithium, and Scotty can't fix the ship without the lithium, and the crystals are cracked, and they got to go to a planet and get another one. This lady's wearing a necklace that has the lithium crystals on it, and yada 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 yada. And I always thought to myself, these little crystals like the size of a golf ball, why wouldn't they have two or three spare ones on the ship? Because then we wouldn't have the episode if they did that. But, but in reality, why wouldn't they have, if it's so important, why wouldn't they have one or two laying around so that if it cracked or got damaged, the ship's not dead in the water? Well, we find out on this episode that Discovery has like, I don't know what you call it, a lithium mining room or something. A horde? And I do a, a vault full of dilithium? Well, well what, where was this vault on the Enterprise and all the other
3: ships? I
2: mean, I'm glad vault they put the it there because it solves a big problem, Dis- but...
3: <laughs> you see, Jim, Discovery was set 11 years before TOS, and so uh, Discovery took all the dilithium, and so there wasn't any left for the Enterprise.
2: Oh, okay, okay. I'm, <laughs> I mean, because we we didn't have the lithium crystal problems on TNG. We didn't have them on Deep Space Nine. I didn't see all of Voyager, but the ones I did see, I don't recall the lithium being a problem. It was only on TOS where the lithium was a big problem.
3: Well, I mean, Um, I will say that that that's somewhat true because there were more episodes about the lithium shortages and the lithium mining and that sort of stuff in TOS than there were later on. But dilithium has always been an extremely rare element, and they do bring it up in TNG quite a few times uh, about how rare it is and about how they don't have a ton of it. I think your point, though, about uh, Discovery's hoard, apparent hoard of dilithium, is a salient one. I mean, what does Book say? He says something like it'd be enough to run 12 sectors worth of ships or something <laughs> ridiculous like that. Where did it come yeah. from, uh, and and why are they carrying that much dilithium in the first place? It's like, it's like carrying around your your, your entire savings account uh, and all your stocks and bonds with you all the time as cash, you know.
2: Yeah, and and they don't need it because they have stamets and the spore drive, so they don't need to travel need... at warp speed.
3: That's true, except that remember, and this is another point that I hope we get to later, remember that uh, part of our previous um, plots in Discovery have been that using the spore drive actually damages the mycelial network, right? So you don't want to use it too much. And we actually do have the Discovery traveling at warp quite a few times through the first couple of seasons. So I would expect them to have some dilithium because they do occasionally travel at warp. It's not all spore drive all the time. But here they use it pretty cavalierly. They're just like, yep, we're going to jump with spore drive. Uh, let's do it. Uh, so that I found that a little, well, it was another one of those little things. I mean, unless Charles maybe sees something else in that that's interesting.
4: Well, I was going to say since it's a since it's a science ship, and sometimes I get to the distance that that ship was expected to travel in it. Mm. That maybe they were expected to have a large storage of dilithium because one. they needed it, or the fact that maybe they needed it for scientific purposes in their research.
3: I could see that. I could be. I could totally see that. Yeah, you know, that's a good point. I can buy that.
4: I
2: just wanted to bring bring that up. Um, it was a really cool scene, though. Uh, but the <laughs> biggest thing that I want to talk about is earth and the federation and the mm-hmm. isolationist. Now, this is first of all, I realize that star Trek discovery uses politics and political issues. star Trek has always done that. And this is no exception. Um, the, the situation on earth mirrors what's going on right now, right here. So I get that. I completely get why they did that. I understand it. Um, But what did you guys, what did you think, Charles, about the situation on Earth when they got here, Earth and the Federation? I mean, I know what I I thought. I'm going to tell you guys, but I want to know you
4: guys. I think Earth got scared. I think truly Earth got scared. Earth was the hub for the hub of Starfleet and when all of these ships started blowing up and the number of people that were lost on these ships we don't completely understand why but these ships just self-destructed the thousands or do I say millions of people whose lives were lost and you don't know what the cause is why did these ships blow up we don't know these ships just blew up and so I think it drove earth scared to uh, can we have the federation on this ship with the possibility of the federation itself blowing up I think Earth got scared, and because these planets fractured, I think they started going into little civil wars and broke off the need to protect themselves from other planets and other race because as we think of dilithium being valuable, dilithium became even more valuable. As it's a very minimal resource, so you have to protect what, what valuables you do have, especially from attacks.
2: How about you, Eric? What do you think about that whole revelation? Uh,
3: I, I think part of my answer is tied up in the fact that I I don't entirely. There's one little plot point that I don't entirely understand. Maybe you guys can set me straight, but it seems like, uh, so Michael goes into her, her log in this episode where she talks about how 700 years after they left, uh, all basically there was this event where first dilithium went inert, and then it all spontaneously exploded. So we have that, but we still have dilithium at this time, right? Uh, I mean, there are couriers who run dilithium. She, you know, she gives book dilithium. So dilithium still exists out there. So was it that all the dilithium that was being used in ships and stuff at the time blew up? And maybe the stuff that was still in the ground didn't blow up? The reason I think this is an important plot point to understand is that... uh, you know, the reason that Earth becomes sort of isolationist is that they are constantly, after the burn, they're compl- they're constantly raided for whatever spare dilithium they have left. You know, everybody knows that the center of the Federation was there, so there must be big dilithium stores there. And so they basically are under siege for you know, maybe a century or so, uh, if you're kind of doing some loose math with the timelines that they give here. You know, Michael says 700 years, this all kind of happened. Okay, now it's 200 years past that. So, you know, the Earth has probably been becoming an isolationist for a while. And they actually say that the people who went to Titan later on in this episode left because they were tired of being attacked all the time on Earth. They wanted a different life where they weren't under constant siege. So that's why... That's why there was a colony set up on Titan at all. So I can actually, I actually like this. That's a long way to say that I actually like the plot, uh, I guess, structure overall, because I think you're right, Jim. It's exactly mirroring society. It's showing how if you become a complete isolationist, uh, you might have the best wall, but it really only weakens you in the end. And it isn't until you kind of reach out and start working with other people that your, so to speak, dreams will come true. Um, So I actually, I actually like this plot point quite a bit. And that's what this episode kind of revolves around.
2: I love this episode, but this plot point really, really bothered me the most. And this is the plot point that I, that um, this is the thing that bothers me that I didn't like. And um, the most, and I'm, and I got to preface this by saying that nothing on discovery is done by mistake. And we're, we're talking about an episode, we're talking about a chapter in the book without knowing the ending of the book, which, is, which this may be resolved later. But as we stand right now, you know, Earth was the, was the founding member of the Federation. They went through World War III and, you know, peace and warp drive and, and you know, it became a, a, a Eden, basically, and, you know, a perfect society and where they didn't have war they didn't have hate they didn't have hunger um they didn't have discrimination they didn't have all these things and for 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 millennium it was like that and in a matter of 100 years every moral every value every ethic everything that the federation stood for everything that earth believed in was all flushed down the toilet and and everybody turned their back on it and said we don't care anymore about all that stuff, and it doesn't matter to us. And that's the point that that's the thing that bugs me about it is that it took Earth so long to get to that point, and they had that for so long, and then the flip of a switch, and all those ideals and all those values just evaporated. And I okay. get why they're doing it, I understand it completely. But when you look at Saru, when you look at the crew of the Discovery, they still have those those values, uh, and the rest of Starfleet just said we don't care anymore, and that 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 bothered me about the episode.
3: Well, hold on, Not the to Starfleet, a bunch of people on Earth, because remember they've already found some core of Starfleet, and that guy is pretty nice. Seems to have pretty good good ideals, but think about it this way, Jim. Um, The reason that uh, the folks in Star Trek were able to achieve the levels of utopia, so to speak, that they were, was because, as Kirk says, they live in a post-scarcity society. So there's no want for anything. Everybody has all the food they need. Everybody has all the energy. Everybody has the living places that they need. Everybody has everything they need. And so nobody has to worry about anything. And so humans are able to focus all of their time on achieving the best version of themselves that they can. Imagine if in our society, all of a sudden, gasoline just disappeared. And it, all of a the sudden, there was just no more gas. And today there was, and tomorrow there isn't. And we got to figure out how things work now. That is going to cause a major, major, major disruption, I would say, uh, to the entire globe right now, right? If all the gasoline on the globe just suddenly disappeared. Uh, and, I, and I think that that's the kind of point that this show is making is that, first of all, there's this cataclysmic event that causes a society to completely break down because now they're no longer a post-scarcity society. They're a a society who actually does want for, um, for things that they have. Now what they're gonna learn from the folks on the discovery is they're gonna figure out how to gain that back when you still live in a society where you need to work really hard just to survive. And I think that that's the big message that they're actually gonna gonna tell, um, or that they're gonna kind of t- the journey they're gonna take us on for the rest of the the season here is how do you how do you like always get you know constantly get punched and always get back up uh, and always reach out to your to your neighbor at the same time. Um, so I think that's actually the brilliance of of the plot. this guy. I know what you're saying. It, only, it doesn't take very long for it to break down, you know, only a hundred years, but, uh, at any rate, that's my take.
2: Well, that, that, that just, that was the one thing in the episode that bothered me that earth, uh, the, the condition that we find earth in versus the condition that we, that we, we know earth to be in, in star Trek. And it, um, that that was kind of bothered me about the episode. That was the one point that bugged me the most about the episode. Um, was just that that how how quickly all, everything that we we achieved w- w- evaporated and people turned their backs. And I understand that that what you're talking about with gasoline and what's going on today. But but we got to remember, Star Trek isn't today. It's 900 years in the future. And, um,
3: no, but the to but me, people, that... still need, people still need stuff to live, right? Even 900 years in the future, people still need food, people still need transportation, people still need to get resources from other places. And I guess my argument is that all the Star Trek we've known up until now is only utopian because they don't need resources, they've got every single thing they need. And so now we're seeing what the world is like, what the Star Trek world is like when you don't have all the resources you need. And I think that's interesting. I think it's a story that they haven't told before. Oh, no, I
2: I think it's interesting too, but I just think in my opinion, is it, is it the, is it the, the, the material things that make us who we are or is it the internal things that make us who we are? Do we base who we are on the availability of gasoline and, and fancy cars or, Is it what's inside of us that makes us who we are? And to me, Star Trek is changing the message to exactly what you're talking about. And to me, Star Trek has always been what's on the inside of us that makes us who we are. And how we deal with the external forces is what makes us us and what makes us special. And we've seen many a Star Trek episode where those things have been taken away from our heroes, from our characters... And they always manage to hold that ground and remain who they are. And now that's completely not the case. And that's, that's what I'm trying. That's what the point, that's what I'm trying to say. But having said that though, I, I am think I do think that I am going to thoroughly enjoy the way this season is going to unfold. And I do think that, that, Seeing the crew of the Discovery still having those values, those morals, those ethics that we all hold so true, and introducing them into a universe that doesn't have them anymore, I think it's going to be a great ride watching them open up the eyes to people to say that this is what you can be, and and we can help you get there. I think it's going to be a great ride. I agree with you. I'm just not liking how they got there with Earth. That's you know, that's all. That you know, well, I'll be interested what said. they
3: find what they find when they find Starfleet, because I think that's the you know, everything that we're talking about right now were I guess Earth ideals first and then they kind of became federation ideals over time, which were almost synonymous with Earth ideals. And now that the Federation identity has left Earth Apparently the ideals have left too So it's, it is a little bit of a, a relearning story I think for the people on Earth and of course we're not going to focus on Earth anymore now we're going we're gonna to go Forward presumably And, and uh, you know look for more Like the Federation And
2: we, we still have Vulcan we, we don't know what, what ha- What's going on on Vulcan And we have, a lot, we have a lot More to experience but I was just Disappointed that in what They did to Earth that that was the that was the point I wanted to make. So, um, oh my God, I got one more clip I want to play for you guys. We're just about out of time. Holy God, um, this is a funny clip. I wanted to have a little bit of humor in here, and uh, this is a little clip I just wanted to play for you guys, uh, just for a little giggle. Uh, when Tilly and and Burnham are talking about losing losing everything and, and how Tilly misses her mother and she'll never see her again. And they have this really, really cute conversation.
3: Homemade hummingbird cake.
6: Cake is eternal. (laughs) Cake is eternal.
2: Cake is eternal. That is going to be the theme for the entire season. Cake is eternal. (laughs) I think. It's um, it's certainly
3: a nice way for those two to bond.
2: (laughs) I, I loved it. Um, in, in, in closing, though, I want to say that other than, than my disappointment with Earth um, and the way where Earth we find Earth, the condition we find Earth in, um, I thoroughly I think Frakes did a fantastic job on this episode. The feeling is there, the crew interactions, the, the 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 love they have for each other, the getting to know each. It's like a family, for real, because they're all they have. And uh, families have problems, families have fights, and we're seeing that on Discovery. And I just, I just love the direction that they're going and what they're doing with it. And I think that Frakes just nailed this one. And um, I, I'm right there with our fans with about oh, 8.3, 8.4. How about you? What about you, Charles?
4: Uh, what'd you give it? 0.4. I think I'll go with the fans on this
2: one 8.5 8.5 Cool Eric you get the caboose on this one.
3: Oh man I loved uh, Michael I loved Giorgio. I loved Book I loved everybody uh, in this episode I think the story is really interesting there are a couple little plot points that are a little skewed that maybe uh, you know caused me a little bit of pause, but in general, I really like this one. So I'm going to, I'm going to go 8.7, kick it up a little bit.
2: Just remember cake is eternal. The word is eternal.
3: I feel like that's important to remember.
2: Mandalorian (laughs) has, this is the way. Well, discovery has cake is eternal. (laughs) That's going to be the new thing, (laughs) but I, I really enjoyed, um, I really enjoyed, uh, this episode and where discovery is taking us so far. Um, I'm really enjoying the adventure and, and what's cool about it is we all get to learn Star Trek all over again from the beginning, because we don't Mm -hmm. know about the Klingons. We don't know about the Romulans. We don't know about the Vulcans. We, we don't know anything. So we get to take the ride together And we get to learn it and experience it together. And that's something that we haven't experienced on Star Trek since 1966. So Mm -hmm. there you have it.
3: Yep. Yeah, I think that's uh, going to be really special, Jim. And we've already seen little nuances, like the Andorians look a little different. The Orions look a little different. Imagine what the Klingons must look like, You're the Romulans at this time period. I'm so excited to see interactions with those races as well.
2: And we're not going anywhere. This is discovery from now on. We're, we're, we are where we were meant to be. So this is where we're going to spend our time.
3: Next so week we have to talk really a little gonna... bit about about Giorgio and where we think she's going to end up. We didn't get to it today. I've got a theory. I want to talk about it next week.
2: Yeah, we didn't get to Giorgio. She's a great character, Um, and I'm really digging the vibes that she's throwing off. I have some theories about her as well. And we're definitely going to talk about her because she's in tonight's episode. So we definitely will talk about her. Uh, Like I said, there's a lot more to talk about, but squeezing the Mandalorian into there cuts down on a lot of our time. And and uh, sound bites that I can play. But I think it's worth it because we want to talk about The Mandalorian as well. So yeah. that wraps up our show, guys. Believe it or not, please head over to our Facebook page, Truck Talking and Beyond. Like and follow us there. Tell us where you're listening from. Tell us what you thought about the episode as soon as I get that posted up there, which will probably be tomorrow afternoon sometime. If you see a heart next to your name, we're going to mention you on the air. You want to tune in. Head on over to blogtalkradio.com backslash trek talking. Make sure you like and follow us there. That way you'll always get email alerts whenever we do a show so you never miss a show. Because you don't want to miss a show. We're awesome people, and we talk about some great stuff. And you want to be up on the latest. So please do that. And I think that's all we have to say for tonight. Um, Sunday, you guys can tune in to Stunt Trucks at myself and Leslie Hoffman. Um, I'm not sure what the topic's going to be yet But it's, it might be Planet of the Apes Who knows We always talk about something fun So you can join me and Leslie every Sunday night Right here on Blog Talk Radio Same phone number, same situation Sunday night, 7 to 8 o'clock We'll be back with another episode of Trek Talking Next week, same bat time, same bat channel And as usual, I'm your host, Uncle Jim And I want to say thank you very much to Eric For joining us tonight Thank you, Eric
3: You better believe it. I had a blast, guys.
2: And I definitely want to say thank you to Charles for hanging out and Trek talking with us tonight. Thank you, Charles.
4: Oh, always a blast.
2: And if you guys have not seen Episode 3, Far From Home, what are you waiting for? Go watch it. Please, go watch it. And uh, come back and join us here next week. We're going to talk about some Mandalorian and Star Trek Discovery again. I want to tell everybody to stay safe and be good to each other. Healing frequencies are closed. Good night, everybody.
4: Good night, y'all. long and prosper. Let's see what's out there. Engage.